Hello, everyone, and inside today's episode of Locked On Canadians, we're continuing to talk about prospects. We're going to talk about a couple of draft eligibles in 2023 with a special guest, and we're going to give grades to the prospects playing in North America in the HAB system. All that and more inside today's show. Locked On Canadians, your daily podcast on the Montreal Canadiens, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 782 of Lockdown Canadians. This episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of Lockdown. And remember to make every moment more with FanDuel. Uh, visit FanDuel.com slash Lockdown today to get started. I am, of course, one of your hosts. I am Scott Matlin. I'm joined, as always, by the active stick, Laura Saba. And Laura, uh, we have a special guest today. But first, how are you doing after a night off from the podcast? I did want to thank you for that. I was able to do social life because you took all over the podcast and did some really, really good content. Um, and I also, if you're watching on YouTube, you can see me beaming because one of our old friends is back. Yes, we have another big prospects themed episode as the Canadians are still off until Saturday. We are welcoming back Tony Ferrari at the Tony Ferrari on Twitter. We're going to be talking 2023 draft prospects. We're going to talk the Habs prospects playing in North America right now. But before we jump into all of that, Tony, welcome back. Thank you for your time. How are you doing as we inch closer and closer to uh, the boy auction in July or June? Well, I am looking forward to the annual boy auction as always. And uh, maybe I'll be able to tweet about it by then because as we all experienced earlier today, Twitter is kind of on fire at all times. So uh, aside from that, I'm doing quite good. <laughs> it, yeah, it was, uh, for those who don't know, trying to put this show together in a DM is uh, very hard when DMs are quite literally burning to the ground and being thrown in a dumpster. We got it figured out. We got a very special show here for you. And the first uh, thing with the 2023 draft around the corner, we know the Canadians are likely picking in the top 10. Top five is the goal here, but we're going to go top 10 because they might spitefully win 15 games down the stretch just because they can. And also including there is the Florida Panthers pick, which right now I believe sits just in a playoff spot. So uh, late 20 or late teens, early twenties in there. And there's one name that I've uh, that's come up a lot because I've watched Philip Machar playing with the Kitchener Rangers and Tony, I'm just going to let you pronounce this person's name because I tried several times before the show started and at the risk of offending all of my Polish family members, I'm just going to turn it over to you. Um, Hunter B, who is played for the Kitchener Rangers, uh, what can you kind of tell us about their game and whether or not that late first round pick might be worthwhile? Well, Hunter Brustewicz is a really interesting player because he played for the U.S. under-18 team for and the under-18 program for a couple of years and was injury plight during the entire time. He really couldn't get his game going. Uh, he had a lot of upside. He's a really good skater, really good transition defender. And he's always been kind of talked about as his offensive dynamo. But he hasn't been able to figure it out because of the injuries until this year. We've seen him kind of explode offensively in the OHL. Now he's taking the step there. And with the injuries, it was kind of a good decision for him to go to the OHL rather than taking the step right to college. 
because he didn't really get that chance to play those years as an 18-year-old, as a 17-year-old, to kind of get his legs under him in preparation for college. He's not the biggest defender either, and I know Canadians fans know how well that can work out with a guy like Blaine Hudson in the system. But Brustewicz understands how to use the uh, play the game offensively. He's a really good puck mover, and he, the big thing with him is the transition is his bread and butter. At the next level, is he going to be this offensive dynamo running one of the power plays? Hopefully not, because Hudson will be doing that for his. But he could run a second power play, or he could be a guy that just does a really good job moving the puck up from the defensive end to the offensive zone, which is a skill that so many people still don't talk about in today's game. And that's the thing is I look at Kitchener's scoring right now. Francisco Pinelli's at the top of that, which surprises nobody. And he's sitting third there, two points behind Carson Refkoff. And he's ahead of Philip Mashar, obviously, in a lot more games played. But when I watch Rangers games to, you know, watch Mashar, the name that I just constantly hear is Brustevich is that he's always touching the puck and he's always driving things here. And when I hear a prospect's name that often, I feel like that's probably a good thing. It means that they're driving play and generating, you know, plays on their own there. And is he going to be worth in that? If let's say that Florida pick ends up like, let's say 20th overall, is that a reach or is there someone else in that range that the Canadian should be looking at instead? I think it might be a little bit of a reach, but I think he kind of fit into that group that runs from about 18 to 20 to about 45, 50. I think this year's draft is really deep as well as highly skilled at the top end. So it's going to be really interesting to see where Montreal goes. That, but at 2021, 20, I, I think he could be a pretty decent pick. There are some flaws in his game offense uh, or defensively, sorry, but the upside is there. And I think it's really interesting because this is a guy that has that Lane Hudson mindset maybe without the complete level of dynamism and the skating ability. So it's really going to be really interesting to see where he kind of figures out his game at the next level. But the upside's there and the, the, the willingness and the mindset to do a lot of the fun stuff offensively that we see from guys like Kale McCarr and Lane Hudson at the college level in today's modern game. So it's going to be interesting to kind of see where he goes, but he w- certainly wouldn't be a bad pick in that range, I don't think. Is there someone you particularly have your eye on uh, kind of around that range in terms of a player on defense, or if there's someone that you can't miss uh, offensively in uh, that range there? I think defensively, I think the guy I'd go to is Luca Cagnonia uh, out in the WHL. Really same kind of mold, just a little bit more refined in a lot of areas and a better uh, skater overall in terms of the agility. I think Hunter Prestavich has the straight line speed, has the ability to kind of beat guys with puck skill and everything like that. But Canyoni is a little bit more dynamic, a little bit more agile. He has a little bit higher end puck skill. And his transition ability is almost automatic from defensive zone to the offensive zone. I think he's just the same mold of a defenseman, just a little bit better at everything. Both of them have their warts defensively. I think there are times where both of them kind of check out and turn the controller off uh, and let the play kind of happen in their own zone. But they both need to work on that. So I think if you're looking for that kind of guy, Canyoni is another guy to look, to look at in that range. Laura, any parting thoughts before we move on to our next prospect in our next segment here? Not at the moment. I just, I, I'm, I'm so happy to have Tony on. I'm just listening and I'm like, I've missed this so much. <laughs> <laughs> well, the good news is we have plenty more with Tony in this episode. And in coming up next, another Slovak on the Montreal Canadiens. We're going to discuss the possibility of that and more all coming up in that next segment. But first, as we said, today's show is brought to you by our friends at FanDuel Sportsbook. They are the number one sportsbook in the U.S., and that is why we are so excited for them to be our new betting partner here. 
And if you're new to FanDuel, that's even better because they have so many great features that make betting on sports so easy. All you got to do is download the FanDuel app right now. And for Super Bowl 57, you can get a no sweat first bet. You'll get up to $3,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. And you can bet money line, point spread, who's going to score the first touchdown. It's Eagles, it's Chiefs in the Super Bowl. Going to be a lot of touchdowns, going to be a lot of points, which means I've now jinxed it and it's going to be the exact opposite. And the best part is you ha- you cash in on one of those bets immediately, you can cash out instantly on the FanDuel app. So join FanDuel today at FanDuel.com slash on to gain your no-sweat first bet on Super Bowl 57, and that's FanDuel.com slash on. Remember, make every moment more with FanDuel, the official sportsbook partner of the NFL and for Locked On. And as always, please bet responsibly on sports and everything else. We are back here at Locked On Canadians. I am Scott Mattel. I'm joined, as always, by the Active Stick. And today's special guest, Tony Ferrari. We are talking 2023 draft prospects. And after last year, the Montreal Canadiens basically adopted the country of Slovakia and their hockey program when they drafted Juras Lefkowski first overall, Philip Machar uh, at the end of round one. Two very... I don't want to say risky, but you see the upside picks there. And there's another name that popped up in this draft, and that is Dalibor Dvorsky, who I've seen mocked to the Canadians. I've seen some people be a lot higher on him. I've seen some people have him in their low 20s. He seems like, I don't want to say contentious, but opinions are split, but they all seem to agree on one thing. He's not a bad player. They're just differentiating opinions on what his upside might be. And Tony, I'm curious. Could the Canadians add a third Slovak in this draft, or are they better off in that top 10 range there uh, looking for something else if they're picking seven, eight, nine? I think Dvorsky is going to be a really interesting prospect in this draft, and it's really going to kind of show what teams value. I think there's a lot of safety in the pick of uh, uh, Dvorsky, uh, much the way there, there was a lot of safety in picking Slavkovsky last year. I think with Dvorsky, you're looking at a player who, in my mind, the top tier – kind of what he can reach is is a top six winger who has a really good shot and scores a bunch of goals with a play driving center, uh, kind of riding shotgun, being that really high end off puck threat that just understands how to play the game in each zone. I don't think he's necessarily a burner. His, tra- his transition game is good, but not great. I think the big thing with him is he has the puck skill. He has the kind of the edge work to kind of maneuver but he doesn't have the, the separation speed through the neutral zone that you look for, especially in a high-end center in that top six kind of range. So I think the big thing with him is if he doesn't reach th- that as a center, do you want him on a, on the wing? He's a guy that connects, plays really well. He's a really good guy to kind of be the bumper in the neutral zone when you're moving the puck up the ice. And then he has that unreal shot. I think that's the biggest weapon for his game is he's one of the best shooters in this draft class. So does he end up as that first or second line winger, that, that ride shotgun kind of opposite a guy like Slavkovsky? Maybe kind of sitting there with a guy like Nick Suzuki in the middle who's able to play make for both of those two guys. Or does he end up being your third line center? Because I do think he has the ability to play center. Really smart guy. He understands how to play the defensive game really well. Always in position in, in picking off passes in that end of the ice. But then if he does that, I find his offensive game kind of becomes a little bit less uh, impactful. I think it's it's a trade-off with him. Do you want him to be that reliable third-line center that's probably an upper-tier third-line center at the end of the day who still is always going to have that unreal shot that he has? Or do you want him to be that guy that doesn't have to take on as much of the, the burden in terms of play driving and you can put him on the wing and let him be a, an absolute offensive weapon? Those are kind of the two outcomes I see with a guy like Dvorsky. 
in my mind, I hope he kind of becomes that winger, even though center is more valuable position. But it's one of those things where it depends on where you're, you're at with, in terms of your organizational structure. The Canadians could use the center in the third line spot. I think a guy like him and Mishar in the third line could be a really interesting offensive combination. Or maybe, like I said, he does move up and plays with a guy like Officer Solkowski. It's funny is that you mentioned looking for center. And as I look through uh, like consolidated rankings and there's a name that popped up that Kent Hughes actually mentioned directly, having known them from their time in the U S program. And that's Will Smith, who I think if the Canadians, cause uh, obviously that top three is pretty well set for what people expect. They expect Bedard, Fantilli and Carlson to go there. If the Canadians are going to finish outside of there. There's Zach Benson, who I think is a phenomenal player. There's Andrew Cristal, who is a very good player. And then I see the name Will Smith, and Ken Hughes knows them very well from his time there. Is he that center that, you know, obviously Owen Beck is on his way uh, through here. You've got Nick Suzuki. You've got Kirby Doc in the system right now. They do lack a true top center prospect, though. Would you pass on an Andrew Cristal? if you know that Will Smith or even Ryan Leonard is right there in that top 10? I think the U.S. program is really interesting this year. I think Will Smith is this video game-like offensive dynamo of a center. I think he's a guy that could move over the wing at the next level, but he certainly has all the tools to play center. I think the biggest thing with him is just getting him engaged defensively. If you can get him engaged defensively, he has the ability to do everything else to offensively. I think a surprise name, you mentioned Ryan Leonard there. I think he's more of that power winger, a, a bit of a, a Josh Anderson when he's on his game uh, in, in a way, just not quite as big. But I think the surprise name that could be there is Oliver Moore, another guy that plays on that U.S. under-18 program. He is a true center. He's a guy that I think is going to play down the middle at the next level. And he plays with a ton of speed, a ton of skill. And he's the guy that really elevates his teammates. He often plays on the second line behind Will Smith there. And he doesn't get Gabe Perot or Ryan Leonard all that often. He's playing with a couple other players and guys like Ryan Fine, Will Vote, two players who are really good, but they're not quite at the same level as those other guys. And he elevates their game and plays just as good offensively as a constant threat in, in every uh, all three zones. And his transition game is absolutely fantastic. And you need that from your center. You need your center to be able to kind of move up the ice. So Will Smith, Oliver Moore, I think both of them should be on the radar in the top ten. It feels like that U.S. program is, again, not even sneaking up because they've been such a huge... I go back to like the Caulfield draft year where it was just NTDP, NTDP player after NTDP player over and over and over again. And they've really come to the forefront here. And then you've got guys that didn't even play in the program but play, obviously, in the NCAA where the next step is. Uh, it's It feels like there isn't a misstep they could make unless maybe they, you know, reach for an Edward Shala, which I know is a debate among people as well. But uh, Laura, do you have any thoughts? Uh... I do, actually. So one of the most eye-opening things that I learned, you know, while doing this podcast, we've spoken to more and more public scouts like like you. Um, and what I found is that I, you know, uh, you tend to try to be as objective as possible, right? Like you try to equalize all of the context and sort of present an equal, and you often have a consensus whether, you know, sometimes there's like one player that somebody really likes, but overall you guys kind of have like a, a fair idea of where everyone should fall in the draft. But what I learned getting more and more into this and obviously in draft weekend, it being in Montreal and talking to people, 
is internally the way teams value players is a lot more uh, subjective and not as objective as you guys. So now, Tony, having seen the Habs and the philosophy, they, they did one round of drafting. They got a lot of compliments on, on, on what they did. We're looking at the development of players like Lane Hudson and Owen Beck, and, and we're pleased with the future. But knowing what you know now, about a year, like literally a year of like this Habs philosophy and what kind of player they go for, let's say they're in the top seven, top eight. Like, what do you think the Habs would do? Like, what's the, what's the kind of player that you would pick? And this is completely, completely Tony's opinion. Nobody yell at him or anything like that. I just, I, I really love like the way that like, you know, it's it's it, it's so out there like for me it seems so black and white and then a team does something a little bit out there and you're like what did they do but then it kind of fits in with their organizational philosophy yeah i think what you bring up there in terms of organizational philosophy is so important whether you're looking at the Ottawa senators drafting tyler boucher or zach Sapchuk or any of these guys that tyler clevin everybody's favorite defenseman um wherever they do it's always interesting to kind of see what they do a team like the leaves always goes for those smaller skilled guys for the most part uh, and then when they do kind of go off on the, on a little bit of a tangent, it's always uh, interesting. Like, why did they decide to do that? Why did they decide to switch up their strategy? Who in the front office changed? Who kind of altered the way that they're thinking? The way Montreal's done it over the last year, kind of, they've looked for more speed. They looked for more skill. I think they've opted to kind of go that more modern route. They're not looking at it like a, an old school hockey man, for lack of a better term. And I think a player like that we talked about, I think Dvorsky could be a really good pick. And I think Will Smith could be a really good pick. I think Zach Benson is another guy that really smart guy. I think he could fall because he is 5'9", 5'10". And I think both of the, all three of those guys could be in the, in the running for a Habs pick at, say, 7, 8, 9. Because it's going to be, if Ottawa's ahead of them, they're going to draft the guy that's probably bigger. If a team like Philadelphia is ahead of them, they tend to draft for a bigger size guy. So the, the opportunity for a Montreal who does seem to like the more skilled players outside of, I mean, even Slavkovsky is a really skilled guy for a big guy. You almost want to look for that upside. And Montreal seems to do that with their, their draft last year. We look at Lane Hudson. We look at Philip Mashar. Owen Beck seems like their safest pick, but they still drafted him a little bit higher than a lot of people would have him. So it, it's a really interesting draft strategy. So I think they look for the upside. Zach Benson, Andrew Cristal is maybe a wild card. I think he's kind of moving down draft boards as pl- people kind of, get into the minutia of his game a little bit more, but he could be in the conversation as well. But if I'm guessing Benson, uh, Dvorsky and Will Smith are kind of in that, that ballpark. And now that we kind of have that here, we do have a mailbag question that Laura and I were sent that we saved specifically for this episode about the Habs prospects and the future with the team here. We're going to get into that coming up next. But today's show is also brought to you by our friends at Built Bar. If you're looking for a delicious delicious treat covered in 100% real chocolate and you don't want all the calories and all the fat that comes with other protein bars, then you got to try out a Built Bar. And the best part is you can get them online at Built.com still, but you can also get them at your local Walmart or Sam's Club if you want to go into stores to pick them up. They are covered in 100% real chocolate. And the best part is they come in incredible flavors, churro, peanut butter, brownie, coconut almond, and so many more. Just 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, with 17 grams of protein. And remember, go to Built.com, put together your own variety box, take them, uh, order them online there. Or if you want to walk into your local Walmart, you can pick up a four-pack on the shelf today. So please go take a look. Check out Built Bar. They're great in the morning, great midday for a boost, great after the gym. Whatever you're looking for, Built Bar has something there for you. 
And before I forget, this is coming out on Thursday, which means Thursday night. Laura and I will be recording our regular mailbag episode, so please send us your questions at LO underscore Canadians on Twitter, LockedOnCanadians at gmail.com. We do have a mailbag question here from listener Jerry uh, in our YouTube comments, and it says, Mailbag, can you do player grades for the prospects as well during the buy and also discuss whether you see them in the organization at the start of the 2024-2025 season? So not next year, but the year beyond that. And given the Canadians have roughly 7 million prospects, we're going to hone this in just to those not playing professionally in North America right now. So the CHL and the NCAA. I don't think they have anyone playing in the USHL right now because Sean Farrell's at Harvard. Uh, so, Tony, I guess we'll start with I probably the easiest one to rate out of all of these. Uh, we've mentioned him several, several times on the show because that is just our brand now. Lane Hudson. He gets an A+. This kid's been absolutely fantastic in the NCAA. I don't think there's, he's done anything that you you don't want from him. He, he's improving his game defensively. He's using his skating and stick a little bit more this year, so it's really good to see that. And then the, the offensive game is just as dynamic as we've all kind of expected. I think if you're going to harp on him at all, he didn't have the greatest world juniors, but at the end of the day, I think that's more of a coaching decision, not putting him in the positions that he probably could have succeeded a little bit more than some of the guys they did have there. Uh, he's likely going back to college next year. And I think the Canadians are okay with that. Could he be making the jump to the pros after next year, whenever uh, BU season ends? So at the end of the 2024 season, if I'm Hudson, I probably want to wait one more year. I think you, you go to your junior year, come in at the end of that year, play 10 games, maybe at the end of the year and see where you're at off, like physically in terms of the NHL then and then make your, your full season debut the year after. Uh, I guess the next one, we'll stick with the NCAA, and we'll stick with uh, uh, Boston University, I guess. Uh, his teammate, uh, Luke Tuck, or as I like to call him, great value brand Josh Anderson, in the most complimentary way possible. Yeah, I, I'm going to give him a C plus. I just haven't seen the the step from him this year that I, I, I'd like to see. He, he's obviously got the tools. He's Like you said, Josh Anderson plus, or Josh great value Josh Anderson. It's really interesting to kind of watch him play because he does really play a really smart North-South game. It's just you haven't really seen him take that step from where he was last year or even the year before. So C-plus because I don't think he's having a bad year. I just don't think he's having a good year either, really. Uh, we'll transition across Boston a slight bit here. Uh, Northeastern and someone I think that fits into this same kind of mold, uh, Jaden Struble. All the physical gifts without the stats to back it up, even if they aren't playing bad hockey. Man, Jaden Struble's a guy I've, I've loved watching every time I've gotten a chance to watch him. But he's one of those guys where you watch him for a game and you go to check his stat sheet and you're like, why doesn't he have more points? And then you watch him for a few games and you see some of the decision-making not quite be at the level that you don't, you'd want it to be. And you go, maybe that's why. I think this is a guy that's going to be a long-term project. Probably a few years in the AHL is going to be needed. But he could be one of those guys that enter the NHL at 23, 24, 25 and start to make an impact as a bottom pairing defenseman with a lot of upside because of those physical tools. Uh, I believe it was Matthias Brunet mentioned that uh, the next person we're getting to and Jaden Struble are likely to sign entry-level deals at the end of the season. And Struble is someone I'm just so interested in because a freak athlete, like knocked all the combine testing out of the park, like wasn't close and skates so well. And then, like you said, it's mind boggling that the numbers aren't there. They're not doing things totally wrong, but they're not there yet. And we'll finish out with our, uh, with our last person in Boston here. 
someone that I've loved since they picked him. And when I wrote his draft profile, Sean Farrell of the uh, Harvard Crimson. Uh, what else is there to say about small goals boy junior? Yeah, he, uh, he really, I, I give him an A if I'm going to give him a grade. He's been so fun to watch. So skilled, just an uh, exceptional playmaker. He's really developed the shot over the last few years as well. He's another guy that if you stay patient with him, he could kind of be a really good asset for the Habs moving forward. Whether he kind of breaks out at the next level as a center, I don't necessarily believe that'll be the case. But he's going to be a really good middle six winger, I think. Plays with speed, plays with that high IQ as a playmaker. Maybe he comes out at the end of the year and kind of moves towards the AHL next year. It's going to be a question of how patient the Habs are going to be with him. And I think the Habs have shown that they're going to be smart with their prospects. They're not going to rush anybody. Uh, we'll switch over to the OHL. I know there's some more NCA prospects, but I'm trying to hit all the ones people are definitely going to ask about. And my question is Owen Beck got traded to Peterborough and I haven't seen the numbers that we saw with Owen Beck in Mississauga. And I don't know if that's just a different team style or the role that he's playing, but, uh, what are your thoughts on Owen Beck's, uh, sophomore OHL season here? It's been interesting because he was tearing it up with Mississauga. I thought he was really, really good there. He went to the World Juniors, had a couple of really good shifts, even though he didn't really got to get into things <laughs> fully. Every shift he had, he seemed to do at least a couple of good things, which, of course, as Habs Twitter normally does, it blows it up. And why isn't he getting more shifts? And everyone was asking about it. And then he went to Peterborough, and it's been a little bit of a slower start there. I think it's been interesting to kind of see him adapt to the new surroundings. I think for the most part, he's still playing his game. I just think Peterborough's in a weird like time in their in their development they want to be a competitor but they're not quite at the level of some of the teams ahead of them in the standings so i think it's more about the environment than it is about him because he's doing a lot of the same things he's just not getting on the score sheet as much i was gonna say i'm looking there he has a lot he has uh seven points in 11 game which isn't terrible but like it's not where he was in mississauga and it's like okay brennan othman plays for them you have jr avon you have tucker robertson and beck just seems to i don't want to say lost in the shuffle but Maybe it's just he doesn't have the same shine that he had when he and, you know, Luca Del Belbaluz were leading Mississauga and everything here. But uh, sticking in the OHL, Philip Machar uh, went to Kitchener, played one game with the Laval Rocket, and then went to the team that owned his junior rights. It's about a point per game, but we're, I can't help but thinking there should have been more to that. I know Kitchener is not a great team overall. So it might just be his situation is not the best for his talents right now. Yeah, I'm going to give Mashar a B. I think it's he's doing a lot of good things. He's still one of the most agile, fun, fast guys in the league in the OHL. I think Kitchener's a bit of a mess right now, though. I think it's definitely more of an environment thing with him. He he does a lot of things. I I was watching a Kitchener game the other day, and there were so many times where he'd make this pass to the dangerous areas. He he put put the puck on a guy's stick on the back door. And he shot it five feet wide somehow with an open cage. There was just so many moments where it's like he's doing everything. And you can't ask him to do more because whether he's putting the puck on somebody's stick, he's getting a breakaway for himself and, and generating a huge rebound if he's not scoring on his own. There's a lot that he's doing. He's one of the best four checkers in the OHL. I think he's a really smart player. I don't know what there is more for him to do at the OHL level because I do think he's kind of at that top end of the league in terms of talent. But the production hasn't really been there, and I think that's more of a Kitchener thing than him. So I, I still give him a B, but it hasn't quite been the, the performance everyone was expecting from him. 
Uh, and then we have a trio to finish out the OHL. We have Logan Mayu, who just kept off a hat trick. Uh, Vincennes Rohr, who just came off a very, very scary-looking concussion. And surprising, you know, OHL point producer Cedric Gindon, who I guess I should tune into more Owen Sound attack games because apparently he's just doing nothing but put up points game after game here. Yeah, I'll start with Mayu. He's having a pretty good season for a guy his age in the OHL, but it's nothing exceptional. I, th- I think that's the biggest thing is he's putting up points. He's like you said, he's coming off a hat trick offensively. No question about it. I think he's got the skill. He's got the talent defensively. There's still some warts in transition. There's still some questionable decisions. Good player, good base to build off of. Obviously there's the character issues aside, but there's a good offensive defenseman there. It, it's still going to be a question as to whether the rest of his game can round out. Vincent Rohr plays with speed, plays off the wall. One of the best players at jumping off the sidewalls and attacking the middle of the ice. Really good playmaker from that area. And he's gotten better at kind of putting his shoulder down and getting to the front of the net himself. Like you said, coming off that scary concussion, took a couple games to kind of get going again. But he had a pretty good week last week, if I'm not mistaken. So it's going to be really fun to kind of see where he continues to develop. I think he's going to probably end up as a bottom six energy guy that can kind of chip in offensively at the next level. And that's for Cedric Gindin. I wasn't expecting this to be completely honest. I think he's got 55, yeah, 55 points in 47 games for Owen sound, a really good Owen sound attack team too. And he's played a big part in that. I think watching Colby Barlow, as much as I do, you see Ginnon constantly kind of pop up on the score. He pop up on the, on the film. And I don't think there's anything exceptional that he does, but he's found a way to be a really good point producer at the OHL level. It's going to be a long road for him, I think. I think it's going to be about kind of playing in the AHL for a couple of years and earning his way to the NHL. It's nothing that's going to be given to a guy like Gindin. So it's been fun to see. But, yeah, it's been a good season. Uh, And this leaves us with the last two big names, both signed entry-level deals. Riley Kidney, who was traded from uh, Acadie Bathurst to Gatineau, and Joshua Wah, who who had a very good World Juniors uh, playing in their top six for Team Canada. Uh, what are our, what are our grades for uh, uh, Juan Kidney to kind of wrap up the show here? Well, Kidney, I'll give him a B plus, maybe an A minus. I think there's a lot that he's doing offensively, especially since the trade where he's been nearly unstoppable. I think there are still areas of his game that needs to round out in terms of pro projection, but he's had a really good season. I think at the World Juniors, he had an unfortunate injury in camp, tried to play in that second game to earn the spot in the team, but didn't quite make it. And I thought maybe he's the guy that they call up instead of Owen Beck when they had the injury replacement. But at the end of the day, he's having a really good season. A minus for him. As for Joshua Wah, give him an A. He's had such a good year, 59 points in 37 games. One of the best players at the World Juniors. I think he was a really key part of that top line for the, for the World Junior team with Connor Bedard there. Uh, this isn't a guy that's going to drive a line. But when you can put him in that complementary role and allow him to kind of connect plays, be the guy that's able to kind of finish off a good play by Connor Bedard or make that extra pass that's going to get another teammate in, in good position. I think he's going to be a really good complimentary player. I think kind of you look at a guy like Chris Kuna type of role. I don't think they have the same skill set, but that type of role where he may not be a star at the next level, but he's going to find a way to put up some points by playing with the stars and being a guy that compliments them really well. And that's the Laura? thing I think with, yeah, I was going to say with Joshua Roy is that, you know, too often people think don't hype this guy up too much. It is the QMJHL. It is a very highly offensive driven league. He seems to be all style, all skill, no real meat. Um, And I think that one of the things that the Canadians want is to have those playmakers in the center role, right? Have those guys that are going to create the space and begin your creative scoring chance. And so 
I think with the Canadians focusing on that, exactly like you said, I feel like he can live up to his potential if they not only put the right development energy and resources into him, but play him on the correct lines. Like there's so many mismatched players in this league where like, like exactly like you said with Chris Kunitz, like if you put them with the right players, it'll bring out the best. But if you don't give them the tools like that, they're never going to be able to shine. And then it's going to look like a bust or it's going to look like somebody was only good at the junior level. So I think it, it's very key what you said, because we, we, you know, as Habs fans, people are always like, why are you overhyping this kid? Why are you, you know? And I think I have a lot of faith in Joshua Robb, but that is all dependent on what the organization does with him. Yeah, I think one of the things you mentioned there, Laura, was that he's a builder. And I think that's the thing. We always talk about play drivers, play drivers, and that's what everyone wants from a player. But so often or not, we, we need these guys that are just play builders. They love to play. They don't necessarily – they're not the guy that's the star on a highlight reel, but the play doesn't happen without them. And I think that's the guy that Joshua Wall is. Is he going to be on the highlight reel all the time? No, but he could be a guy that sets up a Philip Mishar when they get to the NHL together and kind of builds up. So that the guy that makes the highlight is able to do it because he's doing the smaller things that don't get noticed as much. And obviously we have so much more prospect talk that will be coming down the pipeline in the future. We will definitely have Tony, uh, back on our show if he can uh, graciously continue to make the time for us. Uh, Tony, thank you so much. Do you want to tell our listeners where they can find you on socials and where they can find your work? Uh, yeah, you can find all my work at uh, the Hockey News. Oh my goodness, I almost forgot where I work. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, all my work's at the Hockey News. You can follow me on Twitter at the Tony Ferrari and if Twitter for breaks down, THN Tony Ferrari on Instagram and you can find me there as well. Uh, as always, you can follow us on Twitter at LO underscore Canadians, uh, locked on Canadians at gmail.com for your mailbag questions. You can follow Laura at the active stick and you can follow myself at Scott Matla. Tony, thank you so much for the time and everyone. We will see you next time.